Incoming transmission from an unknown source. It seems to be urgent. Patching them through. They're calling themselves the Holonet Marauders. Welcome back to the Holonet Marauders podcast. I'm here, as always, with Matt and AJ. Um, this is this is Jamie. He's uh, kind of tall already. This week, we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian, getting back into that. So since we've last spoken, uh, two episodes again have come back on. Chapter 13, The Jedi, and Chapter 14, The Tragedy. So we're going to start with Chapter 13, The Jedi. Ahsoka Tano is back. Who? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what, what can be said that hasn't already been said? I mean... This was, like, wildly hyped. We knew this was coming. Uh, in my opinion, it definitely delivered. Like, oh, man. I uh, I have a story that goes along with this episode. I sit up till 3 a.m. to watch it, Thanksgiving night. And it wasn't the right choice for many reasons, because I felt terrible for, like, the past week because of it. And also, it affected the way I enjoyed the episode. I was unfortunately underwhelmed with my first viewing and then I watched it a second time with Jamie but I was blown away that time so I guess chalk it up to being overtired it was so funny because because <laughs> that night I mean I usually stay up really late anyway so I was like texting AJ when he was watching and I remember after I um after the episode was over at like 345 350 I just get a text from like yeah <laughs> Like, just, like, yeah. a casual, like, I was expecting, like, oh, man, it was the yeah. best thing ever. I was like, yeah, yeah, I watched it. I'm like, oh, great. Because I had gone on, like, a media blackout. I always get spoiled for these things. So I decided this time I was just going to go in, like, completely blank slate. I was going to know nothing about it. It was funny because the episode, Baby Yoda's name, Grogu, and everything else had already been leaked to me months in advance. Um, right. So I already knew the details, even though this was like the first and only Mandalorian episode that I, or really Star Wars anything where I was like, I can't know any leaks or spoilers. I first want to say that Rosario Dawson was an unbelievable Ahsoka. She was 10 out of 10. I agree. Uh, Rosario Dawson was a phenomenal choice for the role. She delivered all of her lines. Like I would expect Ahsoka to deliver her lines. There were a couple of subtle facial expressions that also were like right on point. I have to admit, the orange skin was um, not as weird as I thought it was going to be. Actually ended up looking pretty normal. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good. You know what didn't look normal? Oh, no. Her her mantras and like Okay. <laughs> look, yeah. it, was, it was bound to be said. It was bound to be said at some point during this episode. That's the only really like major criticism with um, her look, is that they're shorter than they were in Rebels, which timeline-wise doesn't make sense. But then the news came out, obviously, that they made them shorter, so that way... She had more mobility, and it's like, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. But at the same time, it's like you guys have multi million dollar CGI budget. Can't you just like you know, add them in? But eh, whatever. We're going back to like Rosario Dawson, though. I I agree that she was an awesome casting choice. There was an article that came out from Vanity Fair a few days after the episode aired that Dave Filoni had her in mind from like the very beginning. If he was ever going to pick someone to be a live action Ahsoka, he has he had his eyes on her to be that Ahsoka. And then also, uh, voice actress Ashley Eckstein definitely gave her support and like pretty much her like blessing as well to Rosario that she did an amazing job, which was 
just really, really, really nice to see because Ashley is such a huge voice within the Star Wars community um, for fan positivity, mm. especially for um, female fan positivity. And it, it speaks volumes that Ahsoka herself is sharing Ahsoka herself. Yeah. And I know there was there was a little bit of like, uh, I don't want to like hesitation off feelings for a lot of people when uh, Rosario Dawson was announced at first because they were like, well, it couldn't have been Ashley. You know, we wanted because uh, we have Katie Sackhoff playing Bo-Katan. Uh, a lot of people, you know, were kind of vying for Ashley. Though I don't think, obviously, we're, this yeah. is the last we're going to see of Ashley as Ahsoka because uh, hopefully we get an animated show or something down the line for more Ahsoka. I hope we do. I think we will. One one thing uh, regarding just like watching this episode. So as you mentioned, we knew going into the season that Rosario Dawson would appear as Ahsoka. It wasn't 100% confirmed at first, but then as like, it got closer, we're like, okay, yeah, it's going to happen. That's also why there was so much hype surrounding this episode in the first place because it was announced weeks before that Dave Filoni would be the one directing it and we're all like "Uh uh-oh we know who's gonna show up for that because he wouldn't let anyone else direct um his favorite girl and then same thing essentially happened they released the name of the episode which was weird that they released the name of the episode before it even happened in the first place so when it came out that it was the Jedi it was like oh we have two definite confirmations that Ahsoka is going to be showing up in this episode. So there was the hype surrounding it. And honestly, upon my first watching of it, I was pretty underwhelmed. I loved it, but I was pretty underwhelmed because it wasn't a surprise. I I wish it was a surprise. Like knowing Ahsoka is going to be in the season is one thing. And obviously they're alluding to it earlier in the season when Bo-Katan literally says, go find Ahsoka Tano. And so we knew that she was going to turn up eventually. We didn't know when she was going to turn up. And then the news came out that Dave Filoni is directing an episode and that episode is called The Jedi. So it's like, okay, that's where she's going to turn up. And so it wasn't as dramatic as a reveal, to me at least. Like the Bo-Katan reveal was absolutely astounding because we weren't expecting it at all. Boba Fett coming back in chapter 14. Like we knew that was also coming. We didn't know when he was going to re-show up again. But we're going to, like, you know, the one reveal that blew us all out of the water was, like, the Slave one. Like, mm. that was absolutely unexpected. No well, one saw that one coming. So, like, well, those are the kinds of reveals that we absolutely love. And we'll talk more about that in later in, later in the episode. Right. That's, I'll leave it at that. I'm my, getting too- <laughs> my favorite part of the episode was literally when they're in the woods and we find out Baby Yoda's name, which is Grogu, which Matt said earlier, I believe. And finding out that he's not a clone, he's not anything like that, he was a youngling on Coruscant in the prequels. Yeah. He was he was right in front of our eyes, kind of technically, and we never we never saw him. And, I mean, that was unbelievable to learn, in my opinion. There's already been edits of uh, putting him into the scene with all the other younglings wearing the training helmets, and his yep. ears are folded down, and it just looks adorable. That's great. And it's just, it's just so comforting. It's weird to say it, but it's so comforting to know that he is not a clone himself. He is a actual, yeah, well, naturally made baby, and made. he was from that time, which is wonderful. Well, I don't know how else to like explain it. Like, we don't know anything about Yoda's species, so well, like, Kuil, it's it's hysterical to think about. Wheel <laughs> said last season that he didn't look like a strand cast, so I was already mm. kind of under the assumption that he was like na- naturally born. I did not expect these absolute madmen to train a baby. I did not expect 
these Jedi to be like, oh, we got to train that baby. We got to just grab that baby right there and train him how to use the Force, even though he's a baby who can't talk. Right. But they probably did, though. So, like, this has been something that's been, like, weighing heavily, like, on me, like, the thought process alone and the emphasis on how things with a lot of Force power need to be trained, like Rey and, like, Baby Yoda. It absolutely boggles my mind how there's this, like, stigma that they need training. And it needs to be part of the story that they need to be trained, trained, yeah. trained. And it it's just been weighing on me a lot where I'm like, okay, I understand that, but you, you don't need to, like, force us into it. Building up your strength in the Force. It's a building up your connection in the Force. And there is a distinction. People act like tr Force training is like, oh, do 20 Force push-ups and unlock this next Force ability. <laughs> or, you know, tw do 20 force push-ups and you'll be able to lift heavier objects. But that's not the point. Obi-Wan's first lesson to Luke in episode four was stop focusing so much uh, on doing it and actually just reach out and let the force guide you. Feel. Reach out with your feelings. So he literally puts a blindfold on Luke and is like, just let the force guide you. And Luke blocks blaster bolts with his lightsaber with zero training or any pretense at all beforehand, right? That's the first instance mm -hmm. we get of Luke using the Force. And it's like, I'd say that's pretty impressive, closing your eyes and blocking blaster bolts before they, they're even shot. I'd say that is pretty impressive. And that that's how the Force is. Luke then reaches out later on in, the epi in episode four to, you know, connect to the Force when he launches the missiles. He pulls the lightsaber towards him in episode five. It's these little things. And there's a distinct difference because if you look at the prequel era Jedi, they use the force like it's second nature, like it's just another extension of the rest of their body. They do it without even thinking, right? You know, Anakin lifts a pear and cuts it up and he's like, Obi-Wan's going to be grumpy. <laughs> and it's like, that's <laughs> the kind of like the force usage that they use in the prequels, it's just like very casual, very easy, without even thinking. It's second nature. Yet, when Luke and Rey have to use the Force, it's different. Luke has to connect to the Force to block blaster bolts, to shoot the missiles, to pull his lightsaber towards him. He has to stop, close his eyes, focus, think. Rey has to focus to mind trick her enemy. She has to focus to bring down Kylo Ren. She has to focus to um, lift all of those rocks and to pull the lightsaber towards her in the snow. It's a totally different thing where instead of using it like second nature, they have to stop. They have to think. They have to, you know, reach out and actually, you know, connect to the Force before they do anything. Luke teaches Rey how to connect to the Force the same way Obi-Wan teaches Luke in Episode Four. Do you think you could argue that Grogu is... The fact that he has such a strong connection as a baby, do you think that could make him like on path where he is like one of the strongest force users? Because like he's a baby and he can do so many things. True. And whereas most people don't receive training till they're what like, I know I know Grogu's fifty. Yeah. But with uh, the comparison to like a nine-year-old human, it's, well, I mean, I don't know. I think it would be equivalency-wise. So like usually the the Jedi would take actual babies <laughs> from their families as well like human babies they, they would ask and be like oh we're gonna train your child to be a jedi and they'd be very 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 small like one year old maybe younger and they would take these babies and they would be in like learning groups with each other 
until like they could like develop a little bit more and then they would actually move on to train but the basic jedi trainings would always just be basic control over the force and whatnot so like if you think about it Grogu was probably in multiple young like learning groups of just basic control over the force and he probably never got to you know lightsaber of anything um because he was a baby who couldn't even speak because he's the equivalent of a toddler um so he has been in these like toddler like jedi groups um jedi learning groups in order to move on to the next thing at least that's the way that i'm into or that's the way that i'm interpreting it it could be something totally different he may have actually had like a dedicated person to be training him but usually that wouldn't happen until they are at least of like a you know, an age in which they're very cognitive of everything else and they can speak. And use the toilet um, on So own. I think that that's taken into account. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. She says many masters trained him. So, you know, he wasn't part of the master Those... apprentice program. Um, yeah. That's something that um isn't really like as like a, that's something that's not really clear to a lot of people still, the different like learning levels of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, because they are taken in very, very young um, as initiates. And then once they're old enough to, you know, like walk and whatnot, they can like become uh, Jedi younglings and then they learn basic force control and making sure that they can like control themselves. And then they can become an actual Padawan and are chosen by a knight. And so it's just like, right. it's confusing to people who are like, oh, it's always a master and apprentice. And it's like, no, 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 no. Before they even become a Padawan, they they go through a lot themselves in the temple because there's so many people who can like actually pour their resources into training all of these Jedi. And at this point, at this point in the timeline, there's no one. So that's why it's like, Oh, you need training. But at the same time, I can't give it to you because I And we know baby Yoda is picking up other force abilities that he wasn't trained to do. Nobody taught him how to force choke, for instance, and we mm. him do that to Cara Dune. I bet nobody taught him to force heal. And he does that to uh, Grief Karga. So we have kind of like a balance of this baby is trained in Force abilities, but also picking up and learning new ones kind of instinctually. It's an instinct. Yeah, and I think that's pretty, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool uh, kind of depiction. Uh, what else? It was cool to see the white lightsabers in live action. Yes. I thought those were handled really well. Um, Ahsoka is particularly brutal in this episode, which I really like. It's, it shows she, she's like evolving and changing. Um, I know a lot of people were actually unhappy with that characterization, but I, I like it. I thought it, I thought that was great well, because the world, the, it, it shows, we, we know that she's not a Jedi, Yeah. which I find odd the title, it's called the, the Jedi. Jedi right? They never address that. She either. doesn't, she doesn't renounce being a Jedi in that episode. Yeah, um, she kind of accepts. But I think her, I think her actions speak for it. That's her brutality true. that's a good point. and the way she acts that's a very so. good point yeah because i mean the magistrate is a particularly cruel person like the way she's torturing you know town folk and mm. kind of ruining an entire planet for her own business gains and stuff like that like she's obviously very bad very evil and anybody who works for her is by proxy also very evil and needs to be dealt with to get to her um but man watching ahsoka in her shroud kind of dance through the fog uh was very cool very different a little clunky because dave filoni isn't exactly there yet in terms of live action uh 
live action directed, but he's getting yeah. there. Shows showing a lot of promise. He's better than uh, better than his last year's episode for sure. Yeah. Um, and personally speaking, I internally lost my mind when we were having the the cowboy showdown and the samurai fight back to back, like right across the wall from each other. It was like, uh, see, it's interesting that you say you lost your mind yeah. over that scene because both AJ and I thought that the cowboy showdown was just such odd timing compared to the samurai I, fight. I've literally seen a... the two like camps of this. People absolutely loved how these two fight sequences, if you can even call the showdown a fight, um, intercut with the samurai fight sequence because you have one that's very, very fast paced and then the one that's moving like a centimeter at a like a <laughs> a minute it's ridiculous and like it's something that like watching it the first time i like watched through it i, I was like oh this is like sick with like ahsoka's and i'm like literally doing like play-by-play -play commentary of it and i'm like oh she's doing this form that form oh there goes the shoto lightsaber into the water and then it's just like din jaren staring at like this like guard and he's just like oh i'm gonna put down my gun here i go <laughs> who's gonna win i'm putting it down yeah, he he literally reminded me of the the you almost had it guy in the commercial. Oh, I got you a like, dollar. You almost had it. It was be quicker just, than that. I'm sorry, Matt. It was pretty stupid. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I thought it was so cool. I don't know. There's something about like it doesn't have to make a hundred percent logical sense. Mando's just trying to stand in there. Doesn't want to shoot the guy. Guy's talking to him, trying to get his guard down because he doesn't think he can win in a one-on-one -on -one fight, and. For some reason, Mando lets him, and I'm fine with that, because we got a little, little nice exchange. I mean, when he says, like, who's going to win? Could be your side, could be my side. It's like, yeah, dude, those are the <laughs> options, but I loved it. That was a that was a good line. I'll give you that. But. Yeah, like, I think it also just goes back to, like, we love, we love Dave Filoni as, like, a creative visionary, but as a director, oof, oh, no. you, you got, you still got a lot of work to do, but I heard that like, one before. Like, <laughs> <laughs> somebody else, somebody else involved with Star Wars, I forget his name. Oh, yeah, and Thrawn. That's the other big one. Oh, by yes. the way, yeah, are we going to hey, talk about Thrawn. that? <laughs> now, that was something that didn't get spoiled for me at all, and I legitimately, like, uh, screamed when she said Thrawn's name. That was like, see, isn't it? Isn't it nice being surprised? It was. It was nice being surprised. That was cool. That's like the first Star Wars surprise I've had in a long, long time, <laughs> uh, and I really like that. I was like, whoa. Um, and now, I think dear that... listeners, we just we just have to say, dear listeners, uh, Matt gets spoiled for almost every single little detail yeah. in Star Wars. Star Wars, a, a very good amount. So Star Wars leaks is the best so. Star Wars club. <laughs> And I'd rather have good <laughs> Star Wars interactions on Reddit than not be spoiled for things. So I've kind of, True. it's like a Faustian bargain. Where <laughs> I spend all my time on the place that reveals everything early. But it's nice. It's a nice place. But yeah, personally, I think Thrawn is setting up the Ahsoka spinoff series. I think, first of all, I am steadily losing hope in the Rebels sequel animated series. And I think they're taking the plot points that they would have used in the animated series and spreading them out in a lot of different directions. I think we're going to get an Ahsoka spinoff. We've heard a lot of rumors about other things uh, in the works. Never. I don't want to get into specifics, but I think an Ahsoka <laughs> spinoff um, will be live action and will utilize some 
or most of the plot points that were going to be in the Rebels sequel animated series. And I think what they're going for is they're just going to create basically the quote-unquote Thrawn trilogy in canon um, or, you know, the equivalent of that because they can't do the same thing. Thrawn's characterization in canon is different than Legends. Obviously, the whole... Um, First Order heading out into the Unknown Regions one year after Return of the Jedi at the Battle of Jakku. That was, you know, different because after that, it's said there were no major conflicts. So they're going to have to find a way around that. Um, or, you know, who cares? Um, but I do, you know, I do think they're setting up for a big major Thrawn conflict between 6 and 7. And I used to be on the... Um, Thrawn is going to be kind of like an anti-hero figure working with Ezra in the Unknown Regions to fight off the Grisk that were invading the Chiss Ascendancy and that we were all going to like, it was going to be like a big thing where we're all expecting Thrawn to be the villain and then he ends up being like, cool, like working with the good guys. Um, that could still happen, but I'm actually starting to fall off the wagon on that belief too, just because we know that Timothy Zahn wasn't um, notified that Thrawn was going to be mentioned in this, which means any plans that they currently have for Thrawn, which I'm assuming they have plans if they're going to name drop him, uh, were also not in relation with Timothy Zahn. And Timothy Zahn is kind of the guy who's been characterizing Thrawn differently in canon in terms of making him more of a sympathetic character, uh, honorable, you know, not an anti-hero, but definitely not like a straight, ruthless villain like he was in Legends. But Dave Filoni, on the other hand, when working on Rebels, again, they didn't consult Zahn. And a lot of people kind of see the difference in characterization between Zahn's book, Thrawn, and Filoni's show, Thrawn. So if Filoni isn't going to be working with Timothy Zahn on whatever depiction of Thrawn comes next, then he's probably going to be a villain and they're probably going to go the straight traditional route of our heroes have to fight Thrawn in between episode or after episode six in the power vacuum that's left with the empire. Thrawn tries to take over um, and all that jazz. I actually don't think Moff Gideon is working for Thrawn, but I do think Thrawn is also trying to fill in the power vacuum that Gideon is also trying to fill. It's like a mad scramble between warlords. And I, I think everything's going to be like interconnected. I, like yeah. I definitely don't think Moff Gideon's working for Thrawn. I never really got that vibe. I don't think Thrawn is even in, like you said, he's in the Unknown Regions. I don't think he's even yeah. connected to any of this story or even the sequel well, story or anything. So. so a lot of people were saying because Ahsoka talks about the Magistrate's kind of business practices, saying like she you know, sucks all the worlds dry over and over again. And Mando says, looks, you know, looks around and says she's in business. And it's clear that she's, you know, doing her normal resource destroying stuff um and her master is thrawn people are you know saying like oh she's in the employee of thrawn and um and i could see that i guess you know he's building things up i don't really know why he wouldn't also be using the unlimited amount of resources in the unknown regions like the first order does unless he knows about the first order and doesn't want to mess with them and is trying to do his own thing i don't know possibly i really don't know not to totally deter the conversation from Thrawn, but one thing that I definitely want to like mention regarding uh, costuming with Ahsoka 
So obviously everything was heavily, heavily inspired by um, the samurai and just everything like influenced that way. Her lightsaber has always been influenced uh, by a katana hilt in the first place. And I'm very happy that they continued with the rebels variation of her lightsabers. It just makes sense. Obviously she wouldn't get new lightsabers, but heck, who knows? Um, so I'm glad that they kept those. And then she had like literally shoes that were like ninja, like boots. They had like the funny like toes and everything. And then one other big piece of her costume that needs to be talked about is her silver um, circle belt buckle. So it's not really a buckle, but it's just like a silver ornament. And it, it's a big silver medallion. It's just a ring. But upon closer in inspection, it has the Lothwolves running around the edges of it. So literally just as they did in the World Between Worlds, um, opening up the portal that Ezra and Ahsoka both went through. So it's it's interesting that they had that little detail on there, and it's something that obviously Ahsoka, it's important to her. Um, one other thing that they included with Ahsoka from the animated sequences was the bird that's always following her around, which was uh, from the daughter on Mortis, so the um, uh, Morai, so the convoy bird, which was really exciting to see. And honestly, I didn't even notice it at first. Um, AJ in his second watch through was my first watch through. He's just like, oh, 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 did you see the bird? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's the convor. Oh. It was it was just one of those moments. I definitely didn't notice the convor um, until Star Wars leaks was like, "Hey, look, it was a convor." I was like, "Oh wow." <laughs> Matt mentioned antiheroes with Thrawn earlier, which brings me to Chapter Fourteen. Very the good tragedy. Good job. So in chapter 14, we get to Tython. Already, we thought the season was going to end on Tython the way it was going, but nope, we get there already. Right off the bat, they you know, land on the top of the, the mountain there via jetpack, and Grogu goes on the rock. And then, one of the best moments of the season, the Slave One tears in out of space. And you know, there's action off the bat, essentially. Yeah, that was very cool. Um seeing i don't know there's something about seeing ships with atmospheric haze that is also really cool i don't know if that's mentioned too much but when ships fly around in the original trilogy obviously they're composited and so they don't have that kind of haze that you see when you say look up at a plane flying in the sky and seeing ships nowadays obviously because they're all cg or if they're models they're implemented with cg um there's always like a little haze in everything that's flying like above you it, it, check it out next time, especially with the Slave One. It was definitely there. And I don't know why that just that hit me. It was like, that's really cool. Like, that thing's really there. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah, just to go on a tangent about atmospheric haze real quick. Uh, what was I going to say? I love, I have to say, it's very nice uh, of John Favreau to let them use his backyard to film Tython. Uh, <laughs> we were that the entire time it looks like something that we could have filmed ourselves in like an empty lot like around the corner so it's just yeah. like wait a second this looks very very earth yeah some people were a little disappointed in how typhon looked originally in legends typhon is like a snowy planet and in the dr afra comic of course they landed on the poles in dr afra so it was different but it was also a snowy planet in the comics but now i guess it has different biomes which is very strange mm. for a star wars planet to have 
I mean, obviously it is possible there are planets like Earth in the Star Wars galaxy with like seasons and whatnot. So it is possible that it could snow eventually, not just like um, the poles, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, I really liked the look of the, the seeing stone. It looked like Stonehenge. It looked very crude. Um, and I really like yeah. how new canon is dealing with the ancient Jedi, uh, making them really mysterious and not as fleshed out as they were in Legends. In Legends, it was like, we know the history of the Jedi 25,000 years before everything, like 25,000 years. My goodness. Uh, and we know like everything that happens and all these things. It's like, oh my God, like that's a lot. I prefer when canon kind of leaves things up to mystery or leaves things foggy. Uh, the Elder Scrolls lore does that a lot where you find like a ton of books that are written about a historical event, but from different perspectives and different races that offer different, even like different historical like outcomes when they write them in their books. And that's like really clever trying to piece yeah. together everything. And Star Wars has actually kind of been doing that a little bit. You guys know that I'm like a big myths and fables fan. The, uh, oh, yeah. I just got, I just got the galaxy's edge edition of myths and fables with like a million more stories. And it's like 10 times thicker. Um, I love those books, Myths and Fables, Dark Legends, Legends of Luke Skywalker, that are like um, stories told in universe. I really enjoy those. Why am I talking about this? Right, The Seeing Stone. Oh man, that was a bad tangent. That was so bad. Where am I? I loved the Sith glyphs on the stone itself. I love how crude it looked and just like sitting in the middle of nowhere, just totally forgotten. Uh, except for Ahsoka. Ahsoka remembered it. But other than that, uh, and Tython seems like a pretty dead place. Doesn't seem like anybody's around. No. Really what do you think's up with the it? Sith glyphs on the Jedi stuff? That was, uh, yeah, that's interesting. They kind of, I think somebody in the art department is like, oh, we need to make this look old. And then somebody else is like, eh, throw Sith glyphs on it. Uh, I don't yeah. think there's like too much actual thought put into like, ooh, you know, the Sith things versus the non-Sith things. I think it's just like ancient language and they're too worn out on the seeing stone to translate. I tried multiple times to like <laughs> pause it and be like, what does it say? But I can't tell. <laughs> I, I loved how he's just like, he expects something to happen like immediately. And Grogu's just looking at him like, uh, like not like saying like what he needs to do or anything, mm. but Din Djarin just expects something to happen. He's like, all right, put you on the stone. Waits a second. So Where's this Jedi? And it's it's just funny that like he expects something to happen immediately because he obviously has no idea how the yeah. Force works. And then turns for like the second to see the Slave One fly overhead. Everything is just blue. That was such a moment to see um, Grogu literally in meditation and everything just glowing suddenly. One other bit as well, once uh, Zinjarin places him on the stone, the little butterflies flying by. They were blue. That's what it, yep. Which brings us back to our favorite character of Ben Solo, which is absolutely insane that they put that in there. So for anyone who might not know what we mean by blue butterflies equaling Ben Solo, there was a random um, Star Wars short that was called the Star Wars Rollout. It was a series of shorts in which everyone, they were all known Star Wars characters like Han, Leia, baby Ben Solo, and like everything like that. But they were all... They look like BB-8s. It was absolutely insane for an animation <laughs> style. They're just shorts. But everyone looked like a BB-8, so they had a head and the body, and the body rolled. 
So that's why they're called Roll Out. So there was one with Baby Ben Solo. So Han and Chewie like go somewhere on the Falcon. Baby Ben stows on board. So they go to whatever this planet is. Han and Chewie do their business. And Baby Ben Solo gets into mischief. And a bunch of blue butterflies like surround him. And he's like laughing over them. And it's, it's absolutely adorable. So that's the origin of the blue butterflies with Ben Solo. And I, it wasn't really canon. It was just like a random thing. But now they literally put the blue butterflies at an ancient Jedi temple. And that speaks volumes. And I don't know if they were trying to do it on purpose because of Ben Solo, but I really, 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 really like to think that they did. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole fan, you know, Ben Solo stand thing. But does can the blue butterfly symbolize, like, a spirit? I kind of saw the butterflies as, you know, a bunch of Jedi spirits flying around or, you know, something like that. Could be. They could be like, That's possible. Uh, yeah. Uh, That's really possible because they are like a really, really like bioluminescent blue, like a force ghost type blue, which would be very interesting if that was like actually what they symbolize because he sees the butterflies and at first you're worried Greg was going to like eat one of them because, you know, they're a bug and we know how that goes. And then Slave One appears, Din Djarin looks away and then the next you see is meditating. So it's, it's possible that that was that initial connection so, like, if he connected with some other living thing, then the seeing stone was like, oh, yeah, this guy's legit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, but that's possible. Enough about bugs and Sith glyphs. Let's get down to uh, the man himself. Yes. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. We finally see him talk, not just the back of his head and him walking off angrily on a cliff. But the second I heard his voice, I was taken back to, like, Ooh. 2002 or whatever i was i was like wow here we go tamir morrison has i was taken back to like when we watched attack of the clones like three weeks ago (laughs) (laughs) he has has such an iconic voice and it's everywhere you know it's like yeah boba fett jango fett all the clones it's like you hear it so much it's ingrained in my brain i didn't even realize that this man's voice is like one of those subconscious like sounds that you hear that just immediately like brings you back but it was and i was brought a back. few a few weeks ago when the whole boba fett miniseries thing was a you know a rumor and apparently gonna happen i was like okay i mean i like boba fett a lot but i don't know but it's after this episode i was fully on board because tamura played it perfectly obviously and he was funny yeah i always thought I always thought Boba Fett, mm-hmm. if there was going to be a movie, he's, you know, he's a man of few words. But then I'm like, oh, wait, he's he's pretty much Jango Fett, and Jango Fett's cool. And yeah, Boba, Boba was funny and badass at the same time. It was awesome. The role of the man of few words has kind of now been taken by the Mandalorian, Din, himself. So I guess they have to find a new characterization for Boba, considering the Mando was kind of filling in for that Boba kind of uh, mannerism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it all, like, makes sense because we we tend to forget that Boba Fett is a clone also of Django. And so Boba personified, even though he doesn't really realize it, is pretty much how all of the generic clones are in the Clone Wars. And it was just so entertaining to see how actually, like, funny he is. And, like, it's not, like, ha-ha, like, laughing, like, my butt off funny, but, I mean, he's literally flying the slave one and says, this isn't a spice dream. This isn't a spice dream absolutely insane like it's just like wow (laughs) 
I never thought I'd be like in a, in a place where I'm like, oh, Boba Fett is like amazing. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, was, who was I talking to that was, uh, I think it was my friend Zach, who I watch all the episodes with, uh, who said it was nice to actually see Boba Fett do something. I was like, I agree. <laughs> he was like, it's nice to actually have Boba Fett be useful. And I've never, you know, I've never been like too against Boba Fett, like overhyped character. I like the history of the character much more than the character himself uh, now that I'm thinking of it. But yeah, uh, before I get into the history of Boba Fett and how cool that is, uh, I, I'll just say that um, it was nice to see Boba Fett kick some, kick some tail uh, yeah. with a gaffy stick, for crying out loud. And the return of Fennec Shen. Okay, yeah. The return of Fennec Shen! That's what I wanted to talk about next, was how impressive I think it is that some random scene at the end of episode five where you see just a pair of boots walking towards Fennec Shan's dead body. And then it's never even addressed or, or, or brought up again. And it just pays off at the end of the next season. I think that's pretty impressive. They're tying these little strands for the, the future and setting up these like things that people can speculate on. And I, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's very impressive absolutely loved the return of Fennec Shand. I have been saying since season one that she was going to return because there was no way they could just kill off Ming-Na Wen like that. And I'm very, very, at least satisfied right now that she has made a comeback and has been in another episode because she's incredible. And I won't dive into the, the whole costuming thing, but it was very, very exciting to see her costume in the daylight, which was incredible. I think the show needs to stop showing the previously on thing before the episode, immediately you're like, oh, Fedex Shan's not dead. And it kind of ruined a little uh, reveal later on. I suppose. But I think that helps a lot of people who, you know, like when, am I, when, it, when the recap popped up, my mom goes, oh, yeah, when we were watching it. So, you know, I can see her being like, I don't know who that was when Fedex Shan comes back. Uh, but kind of implying like, hey, those boots towards Fennec Shan that was Boba and that's and she's coming back uh but I get what you're saying too uh for anybody who was paying attention for anybody who was paying attention you know that'll be like oh, okay here she comes we know that's gonna <laughs> we know exactly what's gonna happen in the episode now but previously on seemed funny to like a like a person who is really overly involved in the story and knows the show inside and out um but to like anyone who's just like a casual viewer previously ons are absolutely necessary you guys mentioned the the gaffy stick action earlier, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about Robert Rodriguez and his direction for this episode. And it, you know, it felt like a El Mariachi trilogy movie or something like that. You could show me this episode and not tell me who directed it, and I would tell you it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. It was that stylistic, and again, to see his style translated into Star Wars is also pretty funny. One thing that has been like very obvious uh this season alone has been the very different directing styles from every single director in some cases i feel like it's been like a bit jarring of how like different some of the styles are because because obviously in a tv show um you will have multiple directors for your multiple episodes and usually one or a few writers the entire time usually there's not like that much like of a difference in like the way the show is like stylized and like visually it looks the same but then you the way that when it comes down to like the editing and like the actual like pacing of it absolute chaos it kind of has like seemed like like last week to this week alone huge jumps i sort of like that though because 
it kind of like the show is a uh, Matt. What was the the way you described the show? An ad, an adventure serial every week or something? Yeah, it's an, it's a serial. It's an adventure serial every week. Yeah, it's it's a new direction every week too, and, and I like seeing the different style every week. And it's almost like John Favreau picks different directors, kind of just like a like a showcase thing. And that you know they they go do their thing, and it's awesome. And then they go back, and they don't ever come back again. You know, we had directors from season one that aren't back for season two, and I'm sure yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of kind of cool, a rotating door of directors. It's cool. Well, because this show kind of seems like they're testing out people for possibly future roles. Deborah Chow, for instance, Kenobi. I mean, that she got that from The Mandalorian. Taika Waititi, again, yeah, going to be directing a, a movie coming up, and they they kind oh, of oh yeah, the director seat for Mando. Speaking of which. Uh, I believe this episode was dropped um, from its original director and Robert Rodriguez was a last minute throw in. Right. And Jamie and I were thinking that it was Taika who maybe was going to direct this episode. And since he has other projects going on, you know, that's where Rodriguez came in. Cause this is, this seemed like it could have been a very Taika episode action and a bit of comedy. Yeah. And... Uh, guys, the razor crust is gone. How do we feel about that? Boom. Ripperino. Oh. Uh, really glad I didn't pay $150 for the, the, uh, vintage collection razor crest with the, with the Mando figure and the baby Yoda and all that. I think that that's Um, still like worth it though for collectors because the razor crest is iconic in its own right. Yeah, but it is. I don't know what they're going to do. Extra slave one action. Yes. So true. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you're right. We're going to get a ton of slave one stuff. Before we get too sidetracked about ships. I definitely want to like mention in there that after the Slave One lands and we get the post-Imperial troop transport ships, which um, happen to look suspiciously very similar to First Order troop transports. So it's another one of those, just like shoving it in there that, hey, we are about to go into that era of the First Order and you, you got to get ready for that. When it's also just like, it goes back to who's Moff Gideon really working for? Is he founding the First Order? Is he working for Thrawn? Is Thrawn in the First Order? So now it's, there's multiple things going on and it's all bubbling up. You're right. I mean, there's, there's, you can tell just by the way things are being shown and there's like an influence behind these things that you know that they're setting up for the First Order, at least on a subconscious level. I mean, going to later on in the episode, Kylo Ren theme that they play in the major key uh, while Baby Yoda's shredding up a bunch of stormtroopers. It's like, you know, there is a clear connection they're trying to draw between these people and what's to come for the First Order. And I'm really excited for that. You know, yeah. the possibility of this giant interconnected multi-show universe that's going to be setting up the sequels, fleshing them out more, and also, you know, making everybody geek out immensely because Ahsoka and Sabine and Thrawn and Ezra and all these characters are going to be like running around doing things in live action. That's like the best of both worlds. That's like the Clone Wars for the prequels times like 10 trillion. This is like the best possible move they could do. We're also getting in that Legends love too with Dark Troopers and every little piece that they just keep putting in there. Yeah, Dark Troopers, Thrawn, you know, after episode six. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it right. I'm very excited about what's to come. This is very good. Yeah, exactly. I tweeted out after the episode that this show does such a good thing, a good job at 
incorporating prequel stuff, original stuff, sequel stuff, and legend stuff. And I know we mentioned that, you know, seems like every week, but they do it over and over again. And it's, yeah. it's impressive. And it, it really, uh, I can't say it brings the fandom together, but I guess it does in a way. And well, it, it's unites, nice to see that. It unites all eras, you know, and that's, I can't complain. And it's uniting everybody, prequel fans, sequel fans. Uh, everybody's an original trilogy fan, so I'm just going to say, you know, uh, Legends fans, for crying out loud. It's bringing everybody together, and it's also doing that in the sequel era and building up to the sequels. So, again, uh, very exciting. You mentioned earlier um, the aliens, and I just want to point out that long line of alien mugshots that we got. We got a mixture of prequel, original, and sequel aliens in that as well. We got another Scrapjaw Motito alien whose name still hasn't been revealed to us. And I'm dying to know the name. Could have been the same one. Could have been. Could have been this. Well, how did he get? I guess he was on Tatooine and then got arrested and put in jail. So I guess that could have happened between episodes. Cobb Vanth put him in the computer. There you go. I. You know what? Can you imagine Cobb Vanth had a computer, though? I feel like he'd be the kind of guy that types with, like, two fingers. Like, <laughs> yeah, I could like, see that. <laughs> I can see that. Dark Troopers. Dark Troopers. Kind of lame. <laughs> Not a good, I mean, could have, the intro could have been like more badass, but. They look like they something out of Iron like Man. They look like the automated Iron Mans. Yeah, the one, when he has like all the Guardians. Um, yeah. That's pretty much what I, what I got from that. And I'm, eh, I don't know. <laughs> well, it, this show, I was, yeah, we, we talked about this earlier, but this show has a very uh, different way of animating droids in my opinion, from what I've seen of how they animate droids, it's different than how they're usually portrayed. And I don't know what it is right now. I have to like watch the scenes again to figure out what it is about the way the Mandalorian has droids move that is so different from what they normally do. But it's just, it's different to me. I don't know what it is. But yeah, the dark, the dark troopers landed down next to Baby Yoda, Grogu, sorry, and walked over slowly to him and... They nabbed him, so you think he's going to be all right? All of this could have been avoided if Boba didn't ask him to take off that stupid jetpack. And oh, that was, why did he do that? that? Was such a weird move. And then why didn't Jin go back and grab it, like, immediately? Uh-oh, baby's in trouble. Time to run towards the mountain or run towards my jetpack and then fly towards the mountain. He ran up and down that mountain, like, four times. I know. <laughs> it's it's kind of silly, but it's funny to think about now that at the end of the day baby's gone and din is like all right we gotta go get him and boba's like all right i'm here to help and fennec's like i guess i'm here to help too so he goes to ask cara dune and his only lead is mayfeld oh god because <laughs> he's an ex-imperial sharpshooter Yippee. that's important to remember him? because <laughs> that is important <laughs> that I... is what we have in store we're going back to space boston and i'm very excited <laughs> no offense to mayfeld but he's to me, like he's not one of my favorite characters. I don't really have much interest in him, but he's so uninteresting that everybody seemed to forget that he's an imperial, a former imperial sharpshooter, because everybody was asking me why Mayfeld, why Mayfeld, what's so special about him? When literally they say it in episode five, but it's just like goes in one ear and yeah. out the other because yeah, know, it's Bill Burrow. It's like I don't know. Yeah, like, we 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 reminded you. Yeah, you did. Like, I didn't uh, even know. Before we do podcast, we we do like a post check in, and you're like, "Oh, Mayfeld," and I'm like, "Yeah, he's an imperial guy," and you're like, "Oh," and that was like my like win of the week, being able to remember a Star Wars thing that you you forgot. There you so. go. There you go. <laughs> what's what's gonna happen next? 
I mean, I'm still on the, you know, Gideon is trying to become force sensitive train. I'm still on the Dr. Pershing is going to show up, extract baby Yoda's blood and Moff Gideon is going to do experiments. Um, thing. I think he's also going to try to train Grogu, <laughs> apparently. Um, he's, so he has multiple uses for Grogu, not just to steal his blood, but to steal his soul as well. Where do you think they could be going? Like, is Gideon just going around on this Star Destroyer, mini Star Destroyer? Or yeah, man, he's like, Or does he have, like, a base somewhere? I don't think he does. I think his base is that ship. he has a base. He has the only base that they, like, had was the base of operations on Navarro for the cloning, but it's not even like Dr. Pershing was there. We don't even know where Dr. Pershing's base is. Maybe he's back on Camino for all we know, which Ooh. would be interesting, but probably not. Imagine if we get to see Camino. Oof. Oh, yeah. Why would you wear a Camino <laughs> labeled jacket and not that go to Camino? So exactly. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Why are they wearing Camino cloner patches other than, you know, ooh, it's a tease for cloners? But why, why Camino? I mean, I guess because it's the only recognizable cloners we know. But still, yeah. I feel like you got to deliver more than just, you know, cloners. Imagine if they go back to Camino and Boba's part of that. That'd be, that'd be great. That'd be crazy. Wow, I didn't think of that. Because Boba is a clone himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. Let's roll with it. Yeah, let's roll with it. That's exactly what's going to happen. And if it doesn't, uh, I'm going to be mad. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard a thing. When the Minbanese guy, the mechanic, put the tracker on the Razor Crest, there's people that think either Cara Dune or Grief are behind that. Other than my dad, I don't know any of them. I've seen it on Twitter. There's really? People out there. Yeah. <laughs> What? You what think that Mimini's guy was just like, "Yo, I'm gonna do this." Yeah, Gideon might have Gideon might have reached out to Grief Karga or or something. I hate no. to say it, but no, there's always Grief's, a mole. Grief's not a mole. Grief Looks like that's gonna wrap it up for the show this week for the Colin and Marauders podcast. Now, I think that this week the best advice that we can give you is try not to have too many snacks before um, you go to bed, because then you'll just have a really bad spice dream. Anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.